My friends, I'd like to introduce you this morning to a friend of mine, an Old Testament prophet that people seem to not pay very much attention to his writings, Haggai. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the prophecy of Haggai in the Old Testament, the second chapter. I'm going to begin reading at verse 3. Haggai was a prophet, by the way, that went away with the children of Israel when they were carried into captivity from Jerusalem off into Babylon. And Haggai was there with them while they were in captivity. And Haggai lived long enough to come back with them to Jerusalem. And they returned, Haggai with them to Jerusalem. It was a city in ruins. And of course, the temple, Solomon's temple, was nothing but rubble. So they have a great task ahead of them there, seeking to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And it's a terribly burdensome, hard, wearying task. So the prophet Haggai's to encourage them. I begin reading at verse 3 of the second chapter of Haggai. The prophet says, Who is left among you that saw this house, this temple, in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, and Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all the people of the land, says the Lord's. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasure of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will tenderize our hearts during these moments. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will speak, your truth does. We give you thanks for your word, and we pray, God, that your word will form us and reform us more than any other words that we may hear. God, we thank you that you so love each one of us, that you have revealed yourself to us. You have not left us in ignorance or darkness, but you have spoken. Help us to embrace you. Help us to embrace your self-revelation. And help us to live as your faithful people here in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, the only mediator and redeemer, we pray. Amen. I remember hearing my grandparents use the 
the phrase bone tired. I never quite understood where that phrase came from. I did now, I have come to understand what it means to be bone tired, to be so weary that even a good night's sleep doesn't seem to refresh you for the coming day. Have you ever been bone tired? Have you ever been so discouraged with life that no matter what people say or no matter what you see, nothing seems to give you the courage to continue on? That's a picture of the congregation to whom Haggai was preaching. It was a tough congregation. Haggai did return from captivity with the, with the Israelite exiles to their homeland. He returned back to a city that was in ruins. He returned back to see a glorious temple, the Temple of Solomon, that was now nothing but rubble. So those exiles returned home to a major, massive job in front of them. And they sought to rebuild their city. And in the rebuilding of their city, they sought to rebuild the temple so that worship could be returned to its proper place in their life. And the harder they worked, the harder the task seemed to become. So God used Haggai to encourage them there in the midst of their difficult life. You notice the first thing that Haggai did was he tried to help the people to take their eyes off the difficulty of the task and put their eyes on their great God who is with them to accomplish whatever it is that God is calling them to accomplish. And that's when Haggai asked the people, who is left among you that saw this house, this temple, in its former glory? I think Haggai was one of those. How does it look now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? But then he says, yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel. That's their new king. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you. Do not, do not fear. So Haggai is reminding the people on behalf of God that God has been with them since God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. God is with them now as he has brought them out of exile in Babylon. God is with them in this task, and though the task ahead of them may be great, the power within them is greater, because that power within them is God operating in them and through them. So the prophet Haggai is trying to encourage these people, trying to impart courage to these people. And then you notice the second thing that Haggai does in this text to encourage them is to take their minds off of their past, take their minds even off their difficult future or the difficult present and to point them to the future. He begins looking far, far into their future. He wants to show them a brilliant, bright future that will outshine anything they've ever experienced. Most of us assume here in Haggai, when he gets to verse 6, the tenor of the text changes. 
And Haggai is trying to lift their eyes to see something far, far, far beyond what they can see in the midst of their difficult circumstances. For thus says the Lord of hosts. You notice how many times God is referenced here in this text as Lord of hosts? Lord of the angel armies, if you will. The sovereign God who has all power at his disposal. Verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once again in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasure of all nations shall come, and I will fill the house, this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. So at this point, Haggai begins to look way into our future, way into their future, to that time when the kingdom will come, when God's will will indeed be done right here on earth, as it is now presently being done in heaven. Haggai is looking forward to that day when all of creation will be recreated through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. He is looking forward to that point in creation, some call it the millennial kingdom, when this earth will blossom again as the original Garden of Eden and a a new temple will be created, a new temple that will be far beyond anything that anybody today can imagine. And that's what Haggai is talking about here when he's talking about the heavens and the earth shaking, the sea, uh, the sea and the dry land shaking, and all the nations bringing their treasures into the house at a point in history, a house that is splendid, a house that will receive the treasures of the whole human race because God says the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And then if you doubt that's what Haggai is talking about, look at verse 9. Haggai says, the latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former. Well, we've seen, we've seen through people like Josephus, through documents like the New Testament, what this second temple eventually looked like. And in no ways did it ever compare to Solomon's temple. Even after King Herod the Great, the great builder, came and renovated the second temple to the great temple that Jesus would have experienced in Jesus' day, it still paled in comparison to Solomon's temple. But God, through Haggai the prophet, is saying, the latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former. He's saying there is coming a temple one day in the far future that will outshine even Solomon's temple says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. Prosperity. In the Hebrew, there's a word that you know. The word is shalom. That's what is translated in my text as prosperity. Usually shalom is translated as peace. But we know that the biblical concept of shalom means far more than just the absence of conflict. In this tired world in which we live, most of us, most of the time, would simply settle for the absence of conflict. But God's shalom is far more than the absence of conflict. God's shalom is God's gift of complete and total well-being. 
It's God's gift of all the good things that God has to give us. That's why it's peace, but it's peace far beyond anything we can imagine. It's total prosperity, spiritual prosperity. And here in the text, the prophet is pointing them way into their future to when another kingdom will be far more splendid than Solomon's kingdom, his temple. And that that kingdom, the one that is to come, will be filled with shalom. For the whole earth will be recreated by the work of Jesus Christ. So what the prophet is doing here in the text is helping the people, encouraging the people to look to their future. Because we know those of us who, who seek to follow God, those of us who seek to experience the reality of God, depend upon the promises of God and serve God, that our future always, always, always will outshine our past. We may love this world, we may love this life, and that's the way it should be because this world, this life is a great gift to us. But if we are in Christ, our future far outshines. Our past certainly far outshines our present. Today, across the Christian community, we are celebrating All Saints Sunday because All Saints Day, November the 1st, just occurred. On All Saints Sunday, we come into worship and we remember those who have died in Christ and who have stepped to the other side and are now in the full presence of God. And they are there in full and complete peace, full and complete rest, and they are awaiting the coming of the full reign of God on earth when all creation will be redeemed we celebrate All Saints Day, and we know in the Christian community the word saint, contrary to popular usage, does not mean an exceptional Christian. We know that in the New Testament the word saint simply means a Christian. That's why when Paul wrote some of his letters, such as the ones that he directed to the church there in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae, he addressed those letters to the, to the saints there in those churches. And he wasn't referring to just a select group. He did not send his letters to just a group of exceptional Christians. The word saint is a word for all Christians. It just means we have been claimed we have been set apart by God for God's purposes in Christ. Just like the furniture in the temple. That furniture had no inherent value more than any other furniture, except it was holy furniture, sainted furniture, sanctified furniture, because it had been set apart for special use there in the temple. That's what it means to be a saint. We are saints if we're in Christ. We have been claimed. We have been born and reborn anew to a new life. And the life we have is one that we return to Jesus Christ for the purposes of Jesus Christ here in this world. So today, we remember those saints who have stepped to the other side. Today, we call to mind those people who are more alive than they've ever been, but they are now dwelling on a farther shore. We call to mind those people that are already gathered at that river that flows 
from the throne of God. And while there's always a tragic aspect to death, death in its final summation is not a tragedy to those of us who are in Christ. This world is so fleeting compared to the eternity that we will spend in the presence of Christ. On this day we remember. We remember those saints who have, who have impacted our lives, who have invested in our lives. I think about people such as my ancestors, those valiant, brave people who left the old world and came to the new world here and created a civilization, a society, a life. I think about my parents, both of them on the other side now. I think about my grandparents, they're all on the other side. I think about my, mine and Tammy's daughter, Sarah Candace, who's on the other side. I think about those people that will be there waiting to receive me one day. And while I'll hate to leave this world and I'll hate to leave the people in this world, it'll be a great, great and glorious reunion on the other side. On All Saints Sunday, I also think about those people who have discipled me and mentored me and have enriched my lives in so many ways, but people that I've never met in this world but I'll meet them one day on the other side. People that have mentored me and discipled me like St. Benedict and Martin Luther and John Wesley, Oswald Chambers and C.S. Lewis. I think about some of the people on the other side that have discipled me and mentored me during my lifetime and I miss them so much. And some of these names you'd recognize you will recognize, like Bishop Ken Goodson, Reverend Roy Putnam, Reverend Howard Allred, Dr. Mickey Eford, people who made an investment in my life. I, I wish so many days, almost every week, there's one or two days I wish I could go and sit down with these people again and, and ask them some things about trying to do ministry in this peculiar age. So we think about those people today who are gathered by that river that flows from the throne of God. We think about those for whom the pain and the trials of this life are over. We think about those who are enjoying the full presence of God. That which we in the Christian community have called the beatific vision. That's the goal of all life. That's the goal of all living to see Him one day. That's the beatific vision, to be lost in wonder, love, and praise before God. In the Christian faith, it's not the splendor of heaven that we yearn for. And it's not the splendor of heaven that makes heaven heaven. It is the full presence of God that makes heaven heaven. Augustine one time said in his masterpiece that God himself shall be our reward as there is nothing greater or better than God Himself, God has promised us Himself. What else can be meant by His Word through the prophet, I will be your God and you will be my people, then I shall be their satisfaction. I shall be all that people honorably desire. Life, health, nourishment, satisfaction, glory, honor, peace, and all good things. This, too, is the right interpretation of the saying from the apostle that God may be all in all. 
God shall be the end of all our desires, who will be seen without end, loved without ceasing, and praised without weariness. Heaven's going to be so amazing. The final kingdom is going to be so amazing because we will see him there. It will be great that the pain and the travail of this world is over. It will be so wonderful to be able to live in a place where we'll no longer be afflicted by, by sin or brokenness. But it will be Him and His presence that will make heaven, heaven. We know, my friends, if we give our lives to Jesus Christ, He can do more with our lives than we could ever do with our lives. We know that if we give our lives to Jesus Christ, He will do something remarkable with our lives here in this world, and obviously something remarkable with our life in the world to come. Amen.